Welcome back to Mint Condition, a baseball card podcast where we each bring a baseball card from our collection, give each other hints, and do a deep dive on the player's career. I'm Robbie Greenspan, joined as always by Chris Branco. Chris, how you doing? Robbie, I'm doing well. We're doing a night pod, so yeah. going to bring the energy here, but uh, yeah, I mean, doing well. I'm I'm getting real excited for baseball, man. Uh, I feel bad that you're in uh, my fantasy baseball league because... I'm going a little overboard with the commissioner stuff, but I'm just so excited, man. It's awesome. <laughs> you're releasing power rankings and you're giving each player quotes that they've said about the teams they like. It's incredible. I just want it to be an immersive experience. And I know this isn't a fantasy baseball pod, but if any of our listeners play, because I, I haven't like really played in the past, and so we're just we're going full throttle. Well, this year. I'd also say you also jumped into another league that I'm in on Atanu, Atonu, I don't know how it's pronounced. It's with a bunch of people who take it way more seriously than I do. And you joined for our auction, and that was the first year we did the auction. It took 10 hours, and it was wild. It's a 16-team league. We filled 40 spots each. It's an absurd amount of players. But this one went by way quicker. You joined. It was a good time. Yeah, that this this league's going to be real intense, like you were saying. That's like the more like moneyball, like GM approach league. And then... The league that I'm running with you and all our friends is more just like the fun ESPN laid back league. And again, I was never into fantasy yeah. baseball before this. So we're going hard this year. If anyone has recs for players or fantasy tips, send them our way at the mint condition podcast at gmail.com. Early plug. I yeah. love it. <laughs> um, all right. Well, do you want to go first? I think I went first last time. Oh man, I actually don't know this time. Usually, I'm I think like, I did. So you go, you go. Okay, sounds good. So uh, I have a 2003 White Sox card. Frank Thomas. No, fair guess. Uh, he is a first baseman, and he played from '97 to 2014. Paul Canerco. Yes, great job. Okay. Great job. Okay. Very I, impressive. Right. You've you've done very well. I feel like uh, I would love to get some stats on like our guess rate and stuff because I feel like you usually get it. I mean, you must be like seventeen out of twenty, which would be amazing, you know. I, I think you're thinking too highly, but I like. <laughs> I mean, I guess it also depends. Like last week was I I technically got Al Lighter, but you had given me his initials. Like, I don't know if we count that one. Yeah, that's fair. That's happened to both of us a few times. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. Hard to say. But yeah, Paul Konerko. I'm already in my head. Is it Konerko or Konerko? Or is it is that the same thing that I'm saying? <laughs> it sounded like the same thing. I do see what you're saying, though. There was a slight difference. Konerko, Konerko. Mm. Cool. We're just going to pretend that no one notices. <laughs> we'll just say Paul. Yeah. Yeah, just say Paul the whole time like he's our good friend. Um, yeah, so... Pauly, I think, was a was a, a top first baseman. For, I would say three all-star appearances and a war of 34. So did you say Pauly there? Did I hear that right? Yeah, I said Pauly. That is his nickname. Um, <laughs> I mean, his name is Paul. It has to be. <laughs> um, yeah, so he uh, had a 28 career war, which I also was okay. a bit surprised, a bit lower than I thought. Yeah. Did you say three all-stars? I said three. He has... Uh, Six All-Stars. Six All-Stars on a 28 war? Yeah, it's a bit confusing because his other stats are also very good. So I his war is a bit confusing, but we'll get to that. Um, okay. Six-time All-Star, 2005 ALCS MVP, and 2005 World Series champ. So another member from that team. We had Jermaine die a couple weeks ago. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so Paul had a 28 career war, like I said, uh, 2,340 career hits, 439 home runs, 279 batting average, 1,412 RBIs, nine career stolen bases. Uh, That's yeah, 354 career on base percentage, 841 career OPS, and a 118 OPS plus. So, yeah, I mean, really good career numbers. Um, the only thing that stands out is just a little bit lower of a war than you'd expect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those numbers are more what I would, they're more in line with what I expected. Yeah. Um, he was an all-star in 2002, 2005, 2006, 2010, and 2011. He received MVP votes five times and was top 10 in MVP voting in 2005 and 2010. In 2005, he had 40 home runs. 100 RBIs, 909 OPS that year, or the year before he had a career of 41 home runs. So those were two 40 plus home run seasons. In 2010, he had 39 home runs with 111 RBIs, 977 OPS. That was his career high OPS in a season. He had six 100 plus RBI seasons, seven 30 plus home run seasons. And like I said, two of those were 40 plus. So uh, that's just a brief overview of kind of like what his career numbers will look like. Anything jump out again? Not, not too much. I'm going to try to pull it up for myself so I can kind of be looking along as well. I think home runs that he's that close to 500 um, at 439 is interesting. Like it, it shouldn't make a difference, but if he's a member of the 500 home run club, it's, it's a totally different ball game for him in terms of, like, I think how he's remembered. Yeah, I think that's uh, very true and definitely fair. And I was thinking about this as well when looking at his stats because let me see what it is. Yeah, okay. 439 home runs is 44th all-time, which is, like, really good. Like, 44th of yeah. any player ever to play Major League Baseball. Um, so it's funny because we do live in an age of, like, a lot of home runs and stuff, and a lot of people in our lifetime are going to pass Paul Kanerko, you know, I was trying to say it both ways, didn't come out right. But, um, so yeah, it's just kind of interesting because that is really good, but uh, he'll probably fall out of the top 50 eventually. I yeah. Mean, he definitely will yeah. eventually. But, anyways. Yeah. Um, he was always good at slugging and on base. Again, 841 career OPS is pretty solid. He only ever led the league one year in one category ever. That was ground ball double plays. He had 28 in 2003. Just thought that was kind of funny. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fifth on base on balls in 2005 with 81. Sixth on on base percentage in the league in 2010 and 2011. So again, like that, that OPS is uh, definitely something that's uh, pretty valuable. His highest war in a season was 4.7 in 2010. Uh, for a 34-year-old first baseman, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. But it's actually, he had a 6.1 offensive war that year, and then a negative 2.2 defensive war. Why was he still in the field then? Well, I think DH? it's... Yeah, yeah, well, that's a good point. Um, could DH him. Also, like we have kind of touched on before, I don't think first baseman probably get that much respect yeah. in defensive war. Yeah, it might, he might have been a good defensive first baseman. It just didn't matter. Exactly, and that's where I'm going to kind of get to. It's kind of a mixed bag, like all defensive stats are. Um, yeah. He always had a negative defensive war, except for 49 games in 98. He had a .1. Um, 
but he finished his career with a 995 fielding percentage as a first baseman, led the league in 2003 in fielding percentage, was top five in putouts for a first baseman seven times in his career, was first in double plays turned as a first baseman three times, but he was also top 10 in errors six times. However, he was also first in range factor per nine innings in 2008 and 2009. So again, I have no idea what to make of it. He leads like putouts, fielding percentage, range factor some years, but also errors, negative D war, all this stuff. Yeah, I don't know nearly enough. Like that, like if if people can like explain this to uh, to us, we we'd love to learn. It must be frustrating if you are well versed in this, but it's just like some defensive categories, he's really good. Some he's pretty bad. So who knows? Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. So, anyways, that's all I have for Paul Konerko for now. We'll get into his anecdotes later, but uh, yeah. okay. Yeah, no, I'm excited to learn more about him because he's definitely a player that I remember. Um, but don't know actually that much about his career. He just seemed to always be there. He was just always like power, like a good, a good hitter at first. Yeah, for the White Sox for ever. That's a great way to describe it. That's kind of the same to me. He was just always there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, all right. So almost said my name, the player's name. We're gonna not do that. So I have a '93 Astro. Um, Played 15 years from 87 to 2001. So I'll say this is one, to me, similar to Al Leiter, where you just might not get it because we didn't really see him. I only knew the name because of his story rather than ever remembering him play. But played for the Astros, Padres, went back to the Astros, and then ended his career with, like, Basically, a one-season stint with the Rangers and Braves. That was pretty forgettable. Uh, a third baseman. Okay, so he... For some reason, I was totally thinking pitcher. I guess because you mentioned Al Leiter. Okay. Oh, yeah, my bad. No, no, you're totally good. Um, Okay, third baseman, Astros, Padres, Astros. Yeah, I'm going Things be... he's remembered for. He's the fifth player to be in the NL to ever be the unanimous MVP. That was in 96. That's cool. Um, one of the greatest Padres of all time. Oh, okay. That changes how I think of him. Hmm. Um, steroids are a big part of the story. Hmm. And there's one more piece, or I'll, I'll say, and he passed away pretty suddenly like his, his death was a pretty big deal i don't like it was i think in 2004 or five, let me see when it was so it wasn't mm-hmm. like you know last year but in 2004 so it was before we were still really paying attention mm-hmm. but his his death was a big deal mm, man I'm, i feel like i should know this uh really no one's coming to mind though yeah that's fair yeah um do you want me to, yeah we'll go uh, with i'm the just gonna tell you Okay, okay, uh, K-C. Oh, God, now it's even worse. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm telling you, this is a player that, like, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead. It's Ken Caminiti. Okay, yeah, it rings a bell. So, the only, like, I wanted to, go, like, to bring him today because it's a name I've heard where I was like, yeah, I think he took steroids or something, and then I think he, like, died. Like, that's kind of all I had about him. 
yeah. super interesting player. Um, so, I mean, I'll ask you, what do you think <laughs> about him? But I'm going to assume it's not much. Yeah, no, the, the name, the name was in my head somewhere, but I've only ever probably like read it somewhere. Like I, I've never yeah. really thought of this player. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I said 96 MVP, three time all-star silver slugger, Four times, or sorry, three times he had a war above four. So it's really his all-star years. He was very good. Other years, he was a fine player. Um, D war of 1.6. We're going to get into the defensive war because kind of three gold. Um, they're not, he's a, a three-time gold glover as well. And again, I don't know how he, he, based on certain things, he's a very good defender. Based on other things, he's not. So I just, we'll get into that later. Um, Career war of 33.5, 239 home runs, 272 batting average, 980, 983 RBIs, and 116 OPS+. So, fine numbers. They're fine numbers. Yeah. So, for him, as I said, it's really three very good seasons, one phenomenal season. Before he made his first All-Star game, he was a 260 batter, averaging 143 hits, 11 home runs, 68 RBIs, OPS plus of 98, with good defense. He was fine. He was a fine player to have. Very much a locker room guy. Like, was very, very well-liked. Um, played the game... It's it's weird to say, like, played the game the right way, but, like, was a very hard, like, hard-nosed player, went all out. Uh, 94 was the strike-shortened season, and in that, you know, where they ended basically two-thirds of the way, he set a career high in home runs at 18. Um, first year, he was an all-star. OPS plus of 123, war of 3.8, and that's... So things started to kind of turn for him. 96 is MVP year. Uh, batted 326 with a 1.028 uh, OPS, uh, 178 hits, 130 RBIs, 40 home runs, 37 doubles, 174 OPS plus. Like just, just played. In addition to being a phenomenal defender as well. And a 33 year old um, too. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. 97 was his other All Star year. Batted 290, 897 OPS. Uh, 141 hits, 90 RBIs, 26 home runs, 28 doubles, 141 OPS plus, war 4.1, all-star gold glover again. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, that MVP year is outstanding. And so I'll kind of go through his career because, and then, then I'll get to the steroid stuff later. But uh, fun stuff about his debut, he went two for three with a home run, a triple, and scored the game-winning run. Pretty cool. Um, and played with, uh, uh, started out with the Astros and was traded to the Padres in a 12-player trade. How wild is that? A 12-player trade. Hey, what a swap farm system. The biggest trade in terms of number of players moved since 1957. Like, there were some names in there. And it was, that's so funny. Like, why? Why a 12-player? That to me is like when you and I used to trade baseball cards in college. Yeah. And we would be like, Okay, well, if you're gonna put that person, I want that person. Well, then I want that person, and like you just keep adding to it. Exactly, because you just keep adding. Well, I'll take him. Okay, then give me him. It reminds yeah. me of like those McDonald's commercials from back in the day where they would like sip the one coffee and then they had to make it even, so they'd sip the other coffee. You know what I'm talking no, about? No, I don't remember that. But okay, no, this no, sounds but... totally random if you don't know the commercial. But it's like you gotta make it even, so like it's the opposite. They kept adding on. Yeah. Why were they drinking out of two coffee? So it's like an intern or something, I guess, that's bringing the coffee back. And it's like iced coffee, so you can see in it. 
And obviously, if like you sneak a sip out of one, which is disgusting, it's a pre-COVID. Yeah, world. you can't make that commercial anymore. No, no, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so anyway, so you gotta like balance it out so no one knows that. And then it, by the end of the commercial, it was all gone. You know, it's a good. You should pitch that. That's a good commercial. No, it happened. <laughs> that's no. That's a, I like that. That came to you said in a dream. That's actually a pretty good commercial. Yeah, it, it already was a commercial. Okay. No, yeah, no. I I think it's pretty good. Um, and. So, uh, 95 at the age of 32, reached career highs at the plate by hitting 302 with 26 home runs, and 94 RBIs in his first season with the Padres, winning the first of his three consecutive Gold Glove awards. Uh, switch hitter became the first player to ever hit three game to have three games with a home run from each side of the plate, which he did over a four-game span. Which took me a second to kind of figure out because there's only two sides, and so it threw me off. So. He had three games with a homer from each side in a four-game span, which is wild to go okay. home run with the left side, home run from the right side, one game. Do that two more times and basically like a road trip is crazy. Yeah, that was really impressive. Um, next year was his MVP year. That 326, 40, R- 40 home runs, 130 RBIs, which is still the Padres' single-season RBI record. Um, and that 96 year where he was an MVP, he played most of the year with a torn rotator cuff, which is its own thing that we'll talk about later. But again, known for playing through injuries. That was a big thing where like, I mean, you could certainly read into it. He was known for like, give me whatever it takes to get back out there. It doesn't matter if the minute the game ends, I get back in the clubhouse, I collapse in pain. I'm playing the game. Like kind of Ronnie Lott style where, you know, cut my pinky off, I got to go back in. Um, Not to that extent, but just did whatever he could to play. And there was, um, they talked about how he was almost an extension of the manager where the manager, there was a player who had a, a nagging injury and he just wouldn't play, wouldn't play because he was mm-hmm. hurt. My manager finally, it was Bruce, Bruce Boshi. It was like, I, oh. you know, I, I've said what I can. And Cam Nitty was basically like, I'll take care of it, coach. And like 20 minutes later, the player came in. Yeah, ready to play. Good to go, coach. Um, just known for getting people on board. Like didn't say much, but was very much a leader. Um, re- returned to the Astros in 99. Um, in free agency after two more seasons with the Padres that were pretty injury-plagued. He was productive, but still pretty injury-prone, uh, injury I guess to say that twice. Um, and, yeah, so that's that's like his basically his career, just at a quick glance. He, again, was a decent player. He was a fine player, was a pretty good defender, who then got real hot in his early 30s yeah. and then flamed out pretty quickly, which... You know, now is a pretty telltale sign of steroids, and that's a very big thing that that we'll get into. Yeah, um, just looking at kind of his career as a whole here on Baseball Reference. Uh, yeah, I mean, his San Diego years were like really solid, All Star MVP yeah. level. Rest of his yep. career was just you know just a good quality average player. If he could have had more years like San Diego, then he'd be a totally different uh, case. Hundred percent. Yeah, cool. Yeah, like, I mean, his San Diego years, you're getting basically an average of 148 hits, 90 runs, uh, 32 doubles, 30 home runs, 99 RBIs, batting average of 295, and OPS plus of 147. Like, that guy's a star. He is a star. Those are phenomenal numbers for that four-year run. And he couldn't match that in other places, and that's because he was taking steroids. Cool. Yeah, so throw me back some, to, uh, to some Paul Canerco stuff. Yeah, so um, Paul was a great high school baseball player, like a lot of these players. Love that. Yeah, 
He led his school to a 4A Arizona uh, state championship in 94. Can you guess cool. his batting average? Ooh, I'm going to go 487. Uh, higher. 512. Higher. 600? No, no. 558. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah, pretty insane. Um, that was the school record. It was broken. Yeah, by, I would hope. <laughs> it was broken though by another first baseman who also broke a ton of his other school records. Uh, do you want to guess again, or should I just say who this person was? He played Some. for the Mets. He was a first baseman, but he flamed out very quickly. No, who? The name will be like a blast from the past. Uh, Ike Davis. Wow, you're right. I wasn't coming up coming up with Ike Davis. That's a good one. Yeah, I haven't thought of Ike Davis in years. I have I genuinely have no idea actually what happened to him. Um but Ike yeah. Davis. Uh I like Ike. Good for Ike. Yeah, I just remember he was really good at one point. Um maybe I'm remembering him wrong. But Canerco was ranked the number one catcher in the nation during his senior oh. year in high school and signed a letter of intent to play at Arizona State. I feel like we've had a few other wild. Is it no Arizona's the Wildcats? Who's Arizona State? Arizona's the Wildcats. Arizona State Sun Devils. They have one of the best baseball programs. I think that's where Spencer Torkelson was from. Barry Bonds was Arizona State. Okay. They have a really good. I mean, any warm weather area always has. <laughs> it's basically like Florida, California, Arizona are going to have some really good baseball teams. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't say who I thought their mascot was. Uh, I thought it was Sun Dials instead of Sun Devils. <laughs> Do you know how much cooler that would be if it was just a Sun Dial? <laughs> that would be insane. Um, Kenerko was drafted by the Dodgers in 1994, however. Um, this is where it gets a bit weird. Um, apparently, he had been on the radar of Eddie Bain, the special assistant to the Dodgers general manager, Fred Clare, since Kenerko was 13 years old. So that guy that was scouting hard. Yeah, that makes me uncomfortable. I feel like you you can't do that. 13-year-old. Yeah, in the guy's defense, uh, his quote was pretty normal. He was just like, yeah, I mean, I had heard about him since he was a young player. Konerko was that good. But uh, it's just a funny sentence that he'd been on his radar since he was 13. Like, this guy's out there watching literally. Gymnastics is, like, the perfect example where, like, it's, I mean, you peak as an athlete in gymnastics. I mean, more for the females at the age of, like, 16. That's yeah. when your body isn't fully mature. I mean, you could look at the same with like running cross country and things. It's you can often have a high school freshman who's the best on the team, and then as their body matures and they actually like hit puberty, it changes. It's such a weird dynamic and scenario that I am not qualified nearly enough to get into right now. But yeah, it's just interesting. Um, poor Eddie Bain. Uh, I'm sure you were just doing your job. Anyways, yeah. Um, <laughs> career is pretty easy to follow, though. He was drafted by the Dodgers. Uh, one minor league player of the year for their org. Uh, he never made a big league impact, and he was traded to the Reds in July of 98. And then in November of 98, he was traded to the White Sox, and that's where he finished his career until 2014. And from 2006 to 2014, he served as the White Sox team captain, uh, which I didn't know, and that's a cool fact. And uh, he was more important to them than I realized. Yeah, I would definitely say so. I didn't know that he was captain, but that makes sense. I would have said, like, A.J. Brzezinski just because he sticks out <laughs> in my mind so much. But I think he was kind of like a, a jerk himself. Maybe just on the baseball field. I don't know. I'm not trying to say too much. But, yeah, yeah I haven't heard. Good for Canerco. 
Yeah, I don't know why. I also haven't heard great things about Pruszynski. I don't know where we're getting that from, but I've also. I think that. the two Pruszynski things that I remember is during I think it was that '05 World Series run, there was a dropped, drop strike three, from when he was batting, and like, he it was like a heads up play. He ran to first, and then even maybe second, while the catcher was like arguing that it shouldn't have been, and then I think he was kind of like, taunting the other team about not paying attention, and then. I remember when they were playing the Cubs, I think. I think it's White Sox-Cubs, and I, I could have this mistaken, but I think he slides into, Pruszynski, I think, slides into home base, or maybe the Cubs slides into home base, I think it was A.J. Barrett, I don't know, or Michael Barrett, I don't know, but one of them, like, slides into first, into home base, gives, like, a, you know, woo, let's go, and the other player just punches Pruszynski in the face. Like, just, I'm pretty sure just sucker punch. Like, he was not well-liked, if, if I remember correctly. Jeez, that's interesting. Um, yeah, well, uh, anyway, so, uh, so Conurco, we mentioned Jermaine Dye already, um, as part of the 05 World Series team. Uh, Conurco was the ALCS MVP that year, and then in Game 2 of the World Series, he hit a Grand Slam, the first in White Sox World Series history. This was voted by fans uh, to be the best moment in the ballpark's 25-year history, whenever that vote was, and it was deemed as a... Uh, just an iconic moment in the franchise. 88-year championship drop. I think that's actually the home run I remember. Remember when I was saying yeah, I pictured yeah. Jermaine Dye hitting a big home run in the World Series? I think it was actually that home run by Conurco that I'm remembering. So, I mean, I, Jermaine Dye was like just filthy in that World Series, but it kind of feels like you could give it to Conurco for World Series MVP. If he's going to hit a grand slam? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I didn't... I'm sure I could easily find it, but... Uh, Four RBIs in the World Series is a is a lot. Yeah, that's a good point. I remember us being a little under because uh, Jermaine Guy did win MVP, right? Yeah, Dye and had we were kind of like, and, oh. And he he I think batted like four eighty five. Like he was always on base, but he had like two RBIs. That's what the interesting thing was. So, okay. well, I'm gonna settle yeah. this now. So in that World Series, Canerco, four games. One home run, four RBIs, 250 batting average, and okay, so that 16 at bats. So that was basically okay. It. Okay, gotcha. So yeah, okay. Seems like no one really claimed it. Um, yeah, I mean, again, Die was on base all of the time. He just wasn't the most impactful as a, like a run generator. But that's you know that's a separate thing. Yeah, that's a good point though. Like even in the postseason, just getting on base changes the whole dynamic of the inning. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyways, uh, following the 2005 victory. Canerco signed a five-year, $60 million deal with the White Sox. And uh, this is interesting. He turned down, reportedly, more lucrative offers from the Angels and the Baltimore Orioles. Interesting. Interesting. I'm not sure yeah, how that would have right. changed Orioles' history if they signed Paul Canerco then. Probably not much. So, so what year was that? That was after 05. So Canerco was already... Uh, okay, so he was just turning 30, so a bit younger than I thought. Um, yeah, and I think that year, let me double check, but I, yeah, so 05, mm-hmm, that's what I thought, that's what we signed Sammy Sosa, we went on a big free agent spree that year. Wow. So that makes sense, we were really trying to bring people in. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah I just, that whole Sammy Sosa <laughs> thing, I was... I was so excited. He's one of the good guys in baseball. Uh, um, yeah. 
So that would have been cool. Would have been would have been cool to have Canerco. Yeah. I'm just trying to now put myself in the Orioles' shoes in 2005 and wonder what was happening there. Because the Red Sox were good. The Yankees were good. We had not been good, I think, for one of the longer stretches at the time. We hadn't, and I could be mistaken, I don't think we had made the playoffs since, I think, 99 Jeffrey Mayer, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that, at, like, Angelos might have just taken over, or he's right, like, very early on, it could be just an owner trying to splash some cash, thinking it would get him back in the team back in, hmm, and yeah. it uh, it didn't it didn't work. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, huh. Uh, anyways, uh, some other fun tidbits about Paul Canerco. Uh, he was a fan of the band Metallica. Uh, his walk up music. A lot. Of, a lot of baseball players are fans of that band. I guess a lot yeah. of people are. Um, but his walk-up music throughout most of his tenure with the White Sox was the song Harvester of Sorrow, which is just a phenomenal Jeez. name. Uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, from the 98 album and Justice for All. And uh, that became Wait, synonymous and with... Justice for All? Huh? And Justice for All? <laughs> Harvester of Sorrow and Justice for All. No, it's from the album and Justice for All. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, and that became, quote-unquote, synonymous with his presence at the plate. Anyways, um, this is kind of fun. His 439th and final home run of his career came on the 4th of July in a game against the Mariners, the same team he had his first Major League home run off. Uh, so that was just fun. Came full circle fun. there. That was fun. And then during the final homestand of his final season, he was honored during a pregame ceremony uh, before a game against the Royals, a statue of him was unveiled out in the stadium concourse adjacent to Frank Thomas. So, like, he's really special to the White wow. Sox. Yeah. That's awesome. I respect that. I, I mean, I guess you win a World Series and you're the captain. Like, you get what you want. That's really cool. Yeah, like, he was a big deal to them, and I never really knew that. And I apologize yeah. to White Sox fans, but that's why we're that's why we're learning about him. Um, Why are you apologizing to White Sox? It's not like you've disparaged him in the past. Well, I just I just feel bad that I didn't know this man was so special to that organization. Fair. Um, and uh, anyways, he, this was kind of cool. Uh, he got a gift like during his pregame ceremony, and it was given to him by the fan who caught his 2005 World Series Grand Slam. Uh, That's great cool. moment for that fan. A huge moment for that fan. That's really cool. Yeah, and I like to think that, like, they had stayed in touch since and became, like, friends. Oh, yeah. That could be a great baseball movie. All right. Guy catches the ball. Guy catches the ball, becomes friends with the player, and then there's, like, a really sweet moment at the end when he gives him the gift on the field. Let's do it. There's definitely a story to be told. Uh, and it's about friendship, really. Anyways, um, <laughs> what was I going to say, man? <laughs> yeah, I guess oh, yeah. Like, I don't know. Upon his retirement, uh, Paul finished, I keep saying Paul because again, uh, you got me a second guessing how to say his last name. Paul finished in the top three in most offensive categories with the White Sox, uh, second in franchise history with 432 home runs. I'm guessing Frank Thomas is first, not positive. Uh, yeah. 2,292 hits is third in franchise history, second with 1,383 RBIs, third with 406 doubles. First in total bases with over 4,000. And uh, he's also the White Sox postseason leader in home runs and RBIs 
So again, huge part of this franchise history. Like maybe the greatest White Sox of all time. Like that argument is right there. Yeah, I just feel like above him in all those categories is probably Frank, Frank Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. Did Frank yeah. play for a lot of other teams? Did I he? I don't think so. Um, but I don't know. Why do I feel like Frank Thomas played for the A's? Is that not right? It's not right. Okay. Oh, he did. 2008, his last year, he played for the A's. So I remember him Good as for an you. A's. What, so was it just White Sox and A's, or was there anyone else that he played for? <laughs> yeah, it was all White Sox. And then, oh, no, sorry. Uh, he did play. Oh, he played with Oakland in 06. Then he went to Toronto for 07, half of 08, back to Oakland for the end of 08. Otherwise, Frank Thomas played for the White Sox for about 15, 16 seasons. So I love that you remember him for things that no one else does. You're like, you mean former Oakland A Frank Thomas? Yeah, I know him. Dude, that brings up an awesome, I think we've discussed this. We need to, maybe this could be a spinoff podcast, but, or like we had said, a great bit would be a journalist who only remembers players by their like weirdest teams, like Manny Ramirez, former Ray, Randy Johnson, yeah. Yankee, like. Um, Absolutely. Frank Thomas, yeah. former A. Yeah. Former A, it's right there. Yeah, uh, Ichiro Suzuki, former Marlin, loved him there. Yeah, yeah. well, anyways, the um, last thing I was going to say was, yeah. was a 2014 Roberto Clemente Award winner, and he shared that award with Jimmy Rollins, so, uh, wow. Oh, look at that connection. Yeah. Um, okay, do you want to get into his Hall of Fame stuff, or oh, yeah. do you want to wait? I'll, I'll finish that up, sure, that way. Okay. That way we're done with Paul. Fair. Um, player comps, Andres Gallagher. Jason Giambi. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Jason Giambi, Orlando Cepeda, Willie Stargell, former mint condition athlete, Fred McGriff, Mark Teixeira, and some other familiar names. Those are good, uh, good names. Very good names, yeah. Uh, he was 91st all time in Jaws, Jaws first base rankings. Again, this like Jaws and War doesn't really help out Paul Canerco. And again, I, I haven't even stumbled much into why. I think it was just that negative defensive war, but I would assume a lot of first basemen have the same. Anyways, he was 28 career war, average was 66.9 for Hall of Fame first baseman, 21.57 peak war, average Hall of Fame yeah. first baseman, 42.7, 24.8 jaws, average Hall of Fame first baseman, blah, 54.8, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I would have thought maybe he has an argument that's not there. Um... I wonder if just first base is so stacked that you have to be really, really good to make a dent. Um, that could be true, but, yeah. Because, I mean, he's a good player. He's a, he was a very good player. I did not fully appreciate how actually like effective and successful he was. Yeah, and he did receive 2.5% of the vote in the 2020 vote, and that's, like, shockingly high, 2.5%. I know we've said it before, but one of the <laughs> biggest differences in this pod has been, like, Awesome, like great for him, 2.5%. Like, that's huge. It's so difficult to get Hall of Fame votes. It's so difficult to get in the Hall of Fame. But it's also really tough to get Hall of Fame votes. A lot of the players we have discussed who were like, their borderline have gotten less than 2%. So, like, yeah. that's really yeah. impressive. Yeah. No, that's really cool. That's Paul um, all, right. all right. I respect that. So, Ken Caminiti, as I talked about, his playing career for the most part, um, what he is remembered for is steroids and so he was not like named in the Mitchell report or anything it's not like that he just went on record that he was using steroids um 
I respect yeah. that more. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just get into it. Um, it's, I'll, I'll try to kind of edit all the, the reading that I'm, yeah. So you guys aren't listening to me read an article, but it's fascinating. It's 96 uh, article of Sports Illustrated, Tom Verducci, one of the best baseball writers ever. Um, and he revealed that when he won the 96 NL MVP, he was using steroids that he'd purchased from a pharmacy in Tijuana, spurred to try the drugs by concerns over a shoulder injury in early 96. He said his steroid use improved his performance noticeably, and it became more sophisticated over the next five seasons. He said that he used steroids so heavily in 96 that by the end of the season, his testicles shrank and retracted. Oh, no. Uh-huh. This is, I mean, not that I was ever at all going to take steroids, but that's like the, <laughs> oh, God. Um, doctors found that his body had virtually stopped producing its own testosterone and that his level of hormones had fallen to 20% of normal. It took four months to get my nuts to drop on their own, he said. And uh, he said that he expect, he thought that about 50% of the league was taking steroids. This uh, interview was in 2001. Um, and he said the reason that his body responded so negatively is he was not working with oh. a trainer or anything. He was just kind of experimenting on his own. Jesus. Um, yeah. He was a recovering alcoholic and a, I guess I'll say a sporadic drug user. I don't know what the proper term is. Um, but he defended use of steroids and said he would not discourage others from taking them because they've become widely accepted, even necessary choice for ball players looking for a competitive edge in financial security. I've made a ton of mistakes, he said. I don't think using steroids is one of them. It's no secret what's going on in baseball. At least half the guys are using steroids. They talk about it. They joke about it with each other. The guys who want to protect themselves and their image by lying that, that the, by lying have that right. Me? I'm at the point in my career when I've done just about every bad thing you can do. I try to walk with my head up. I don't have to hold my tongue. I don't want to hurt teammates or friends, but I have nothing to hide. If a young player were to ask me what to do, he continued, I'm not going to tell him it's bad. Look at all the money in the game. You have a chance to set your family up, to get your daughter into a better school. So I can't say don't do it. Not when the guy next to you is as big as a house and he's going to take your job and make that money. So true, though. <clears throat> yeah. I'm like, yeah, I get that. That's yeah. that's uh, like exactly what they were thinking. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Yes. Uh, I'm glad you said there's a mental edge that comes to the injections and it's definitely something that gets you more intense. Uh, the thing is, I didn't do it to make me a better player. I did it because my body broke down. At first, I felt like a cheater, but I looked around and everyone's doing it. Now it's not as black market as when I started. Back then, you had to go and find it in Mexico or someplace. Now it's everywhere. It's very easy to get. And yeah, he, you know, I guess I'll keep talking about steroid use. Um, so I don't think this puts, I, I do not think this puts an asterisk by my name, he said. I worked for everything I've got. I played the game hard, gave it everything I had. Nothing came easy. I could sit here and lie and try to make myself look like a better person, but I'm not going to do that. Take responsibility for what I've done. I'm guilty of some bad behavior. It's embarrassing some of the things I've done. But like I said, I don't consider don't consider steroids to be one of them. And again, I, I kind of get it. I'm like sympathetic to it. It's wrong, but I'm sympathetic to it. it and yeah. the whole article is fascinating where it's like a bunch of – it's it's what we've heard of. These players who are like, if I don't do it, I'm going to be out of the league. And it's like, I kinda, it's, it's not – one of the, the change that they talk about, and this is back in 01, is it's not I'm going to – give myself that competitive edge anymore it's i have to do this to stay in the league and that yeah. coaches were going up to players and saying you need to get on steroids you're not gonna be on the team much longer and like crazy yeah. and it says that's you know that's not to say cam nitty hasn't paid a price for steroid use he's now legally prescribed weekly shots of testosterone because of his body's continuing inability to make the hormone in sufficient quantity my body's not producing testosterone he said you know what that's like you get lethargic you get depressed it's terrible um, oh, yeah yeah that's yeah. brutal um, yeah, so the, the article, yeah, I mean, it's not, 
like, I don't know, there's both a lot to say and not that much to say. Like, the article just shocked, shocked baseball. And he, he was, he was, he was still in the league, but he was coming, the wheels were coming undone. I think this was last year in 01. And it was pretty clear that his body was breaking down. And I, I respect him. Like, they say that he's one of the only people to ever come forward with, like, admitting to steroids without a positive test prompting it, without, you know, going up on con- he just he talked about it, and that's he was blacklisted from baseball. Teammates turned on him. The, the idea that fifty percent of baseball players were using was like considered just so impossible. How could you say that? Why? Like the players' union was furious because hmm. he, the push for drug testing was becoming higher. Where there was like drug testing at that point, but it was borderline voluntary. Um, you couldn't. You, they couldn't do anything about it if you were caught with steroids, and mm-hmm. they couldn't if you're on the forty man roster. Most a lot of times they couldn't test you, so it was only minor leaguers. Mm. And yeah, so he really changed baseball in that regard. Um, and then, so as after that, he he walked back his comments a little bit, like two weeks later, just like oh, when I said fifty percent, I was just throwing out a number. I didn't mean to make it that high, and he was very adamant throughout he well he said like you know it's happening a lot in the game he would not name names he wasn't like jose canseco like oh i could and he did say like oh i could write a book at the end of my career but he was much more like i did this it was my choice other people are doing it but that's not what it's about like which i respect yeah. he was not trying to throw people under the bus he was talking about himself no i, um, I respect it because it seems like he was genuinely saying like i don't feel bad for taking them because this is why and it's like yeah i see why that made sense like yeah and so, like, I respect it. It's better than just lying about it. Like, yeah. 100%. Like, it, it kind of sucks to hear, like, oh, I don't regret it. But also, I get it. He doesn't need to. I mean, I'm sure later he would regret, like, with the how his body broke down. Yeah. But I, I think in some ways it was just you could see it as a sacrifice you had to make. Like, missing your children's birthdays or, you know, all that stuff. Putting in extra, work, extra shifts working out. Like, I'm not saying that's what it is. But I think that's what the feeling was. And yeah, so he, to me, like one of the most interesting players that we've, like that I've brought because to have that, those, it's not steroid allegations, it's steroid admittance. Like, I don't know how to phrase it, but um, yeah. yeah, very cool. And then, you know, the sad part is I said he was an alcoholic and sporadic drug user, but um, yeah, so he, was arrested a couple times for cocaine possession and then in 2004 was found in a motel with uh, the tox- toxicology came back, or toxic- toxicine came back, and um, it was, I think, hero- uh, heroin and cocaine in his system, and it just basically gave him a heart attack and he died. And yeah, you read about him, like, what seems like one of the most well liked teammates before the incident, the incident being him talking about steroids. But I said one of the most beloved Padres who was known for like mingling with fans and doing a lot to give back a really well-liked teammate, both like Trevor Hoffman was a big fan when he was on the Astros. Craig Biggio said it was probably his best friend Hmm. that, and actually like uh, they buried Caminiti in Biggio's backyard under his favorite tree. Like they were that close that, which was like wild. And there's a whole like, dedication to it that got me all, all choked up which i wasn't expecting um yeah so 
really interesting. I'm trying to think. I mean, it's just having a player like that pass away at 43 is is crazy in general. When you're, I think it goes back to this idea that these players are stars, and you sometimes forget that they're human. It's like yes. when I know, like when Oscar Tavares passed away. I mean, he was a prospect, but like that that just really messed with my mind because you don't think of these people as vulnerable and human. They are athletes. They are stars. They don't have the same things that we do. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. Kevin Nitty, just one of the most fascinating players that we've, that I've brought, I think. Yeah, a very uh, unique and interesting figure in that regard, for sure. Um, just his honesty there in that interview. And uh, it, it is, like, impactful because uh, it gives you, like, that honest perspective in steroids. And then yeah, that's really sad. I didn't know about his death. And, uh, yeah, it's just a sad story. Um, just seemed like a guy who, uh, he, like, yeah, like a guy who was a good player and good in the clubhouse, and that probably did hurt the game. So uh, yeah, 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 and it's interesting. So the Hall of Fame case, like, numbers-wise, I'll go through. He's 58th third baseman. He's 35 below the Hall of Fame, average Hall of Fame third baseman in war. Um, The seven-year peak is closer, which makes sense. Tiz has 29.8, Hall of Fame 43.1. Jaws, he's 24 behind, so it's not there. Um, He got 0.4% of the votes when he was on the ballot, so I think he got two two votes. And one of the guys who voted for him said, like, I caught hell for that, but I think that he changed baseball for the better. I think Mm -hmm. that him talking about steroids spurred a bunch of changes that improved the game. And the Hall of Fame is for people who made an impact on baseball and he made a positive impact on baseball, which agree or disagree with it. I understand. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I don't know my like history enough to know if that's true, but in theory, it sounds like that makes sense. Like I can see how that's like a turning point when he gives that honest perspective and then the game can look at and go, okay, well, how do we address that? But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Similarity scores, I think also show like what a good player he is. Three was Mike Lowell, who I kind of remember. Before, Evan Longoria. Six, David Wright. Eight, Ryan Zimmerman. Like, you're looking at a, a, a very good third baseman. That's, again, not a Hall of Famer, but a very good third baseman. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, cool. Well, so do we want to compare him and Canerco here? Yeah, sounds good. So I have 93. Um, so 93, Kemnitty batted yes is before before he started playing well batted 262 with 75 RBIs uh, 13 home runs and a 94 OPS plus he's fine oh my god this is like a shockingly bad year for Paul Canerco one of the very very few at this point in his career it's in between an all-star game and MVP votes he batted 18 homers 65 RBIs 234. 704 OPS, 83 OPS plus, really bad year for Canerco. Um, so I'm going to go with Caminiti. Canerco actually yeah, lost I think... points. Yeah, I'm surprised. But yeah, I'll go Caminiti as well. Let's see, 93 was a point five war, but yeah, we'll take it. I mean, he also had a higher career war than Paul. Um, yeah, that is interesting. Oh, and then I didn't even get into his defensive stats because, as I said, it's kind of confusing. But three time gold glover and in. Um, total zone runs. He twice was first in the NL in range factor per game. He was first in the NL in 97. Um, 
double plays turns third baseman. He was first in 95. Um, yeah. yeah, total zone runs. He was third one year, fifth another year. Like, based on those, I do think he was a very good defender. Yeah. Um, that's pretty similar to the defensive. Like, those those same categories Canarco let in a few years, so that's interesting. Um yeah, I think Card I'd rather have viewers just because, you know, that's a way more interesting story and a more influential person probably in baseball history than Paul Canerco. Um, yeah, yeah. It, which is totally not what I would have thought when if you had just told me, hey, the two cards being brought are Canerco and Caminiti. I'd be like, okay, I don't know much about Caminiti. Like, give me Canerco because I know what he did. I remember him. But yeah, same. I think I'm going to go with Caminiti too. Like, it's a real tragic story. It is, and it's sad, yeah. a story that's very representative of that time and the fears of steroids. And I think, and I don't know much about it, I, I do think you can probably take steroids pretty safely. I think it's like a lot of things. Like I'm sure there are definitely side effects, but that's someone who didn't take it that safely. And then you match that with his other addiction issues and it all just yeah. kind of fell apart. Yeah, that's sad, but uh, that's a good point. It wasn't... Uh, obviously, we <laughs> we don't advocate for steroids. I also don't yeah. think that our listeners are going to listen to this podcast and then take steroids. Because if, they if you're coming to us, for... if you're coming to us for your steroid advice, steer clear. <laughs> but you have other issues, so I don't think we need to worry about us being a voice for steroids. But yeah, I'm sure there's a way these ball players are taking them. That's like a controlled sports science yeah. method. And, and if you're and just willy nilly taking steroids, yeah. that's going to be a big yeah. difference. And I'm sure that there's still steroids in the game. I just think oh, people yeah. got smaller or get smarter. I think that's like a big, a big thing. And yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I think it's interesting to me for Canerco how beloved he was in Chicago. Or still is, not was, still is. Like, again, you could argue one of the greatest White Sox and seems like one of the most beloved. Like, he and yes. Frank Thomas, I would not have expected that. That's super cool. And then that's for Kim Nitty, like, well. yeah, Kim yeah, Nitty being. I was always thought of him as like, God, he's probably like a jerk, like steroids. I knew he wasn't that well-liked, but he wasn't well-liked because he spoke the truth. And I mean, I get that he was cheating too. Like, I'm not trying to, yes, he used steroids, but I don't really count it as much at that time because like so many people were. But yeah, he was kind of blacklisted for just speaking the truth. And when he was in the game, he was very well-liked. Yeah. And uh, just because you make mistakes doesn't mean you're a bad person. And again, I don't know Ken Kennedy's life. I don't know yeah. much about any of his life. But, uh, you know, from that, from that, that doesn't sound like he was a bad person. It just seemed like uh, he needed some help. So, yeah, um, I agree. I, I'm interested to learn more about him. And uh, definitely sad story there. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's all I got. So. If you uh, if you can hit the people with our with our email once one more time. Yeah, so the mint condition podcast at gmail.com. Uh, go ahead and send us your inquiries, recs, whatever. Wanna hear from you. Yeah. Uh, we would we would love it and thank you guys so much for listening and we will be back next week. 